All right, if you've got a Bible, grab it, open it, turn it on, follow along on screen in your outline or use the Central Church app. Mark chapter 9 is where we're going to be at today. This is not a part of a series. Um, if you're new to Central, we preach in serieses. Um, this is not a series. Um, next week, or next week, yeah, next week is Easter. The week after that, we're going to start a series about Peter. And um, if you have ever felt like your life is screwed up, um, and you've messed up some stuff, you ain't going to want to miss the Peter series because Peter is like, whoo, he's like the king of screw-ups and makes us feel better about ourselves. I'm super excited um, about that series because it's really um, a series about me probably too. So anyway, let me set today up like this. I want you, whether you're a sports fan or not a sports fan, whether you like um, college or professional sports, I want you to think about this year's Final Four, and college men's basketball. Those four teams right there, that doesn't make any sense, does it? None. I mean, all of these teams beat teams ranked higher than them with better offenses, better defenses. All the teams that they beat scored more points throughout the year than any of the, I mean, especially like the, the, the four number one seeds this year should have taken these four teams out behind the woodshed and whoop them. You know what I'm talking about? Doesn't make any sense. I mean, maybe, maybe UConn being, oh no, 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 wait, not you, UConn's girls are champions, right? Like maybe Iowa will get one this year. Anyway, um, I'm cheering for, I'm cheering for her today, for her, not the team. Anyway, um, how many of you, get, get focused, get focused. How many of you had these final four? How many of you had this? Anybody in here had this final four? Anybody? How many of you had three teams? How many of you had two of these teams? How many of you have one of these teams? How many of you are like, I don't even care. I don't even play that game. I don't, yeah, that's, that's, that's me too. I read that in one of the biggest um, bracket things that they do online, that six people, six people pick this final four. Six that's like one in every 600,000 that played that. It's, it's crazy. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Like, what does this have to do with the Bible and church and Jesus and all of that? Well, the reason I bring that up is to tie it into Christianity. Because if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder, and uh, please, I'm not asking you to raise your hand on this one. Don't, don't raise your hand. But I'm just kind of wondering, is there anybody in this room that keeps losing battles that you should be winning. I mean, on paper, on paper, there's no reason we keep falling into the same temptation. As you look at it, there's no reason why we struggle with the same struggle. But why do we keep doing the same things that we're doing? The things we don't want to do, we're doing. The things we do want to do, we can't seem to do. Because if we're a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. If we're a Christian... We have the promise of God. We have the presence of God. And so why is it that Christians, people who really do want to follow Jesus, people who really are taking their next steps, people who really do want to do good, why does it seem so many times that we're being taken behind the woodshed and worn out by the same problem that's worn us out for years? Anybody struggle with that? Because your pastor does. I heard a pastor say one time, new levels bring new devils. You ever heard that? New levels bring new devils. And that's true. Further you go in your walk with Jesus, you're going to face some new devils. Well, I was at a conference last week, and I heard somebody say, it's not, it's not the new devils I'm worried about. It's the devils that have been with me since I'm eight years old. Those are the ones I fight with the most. It's new levels 
but same devils. And so, as we get ready for Easter next week, I want to take today, I know it's Palm Sunday, I'm not a good theme preacher. And so, I just want to take time and talk to the person like, you, you know you're a Christian. And you're trying to follow Jesus. But, but there's this thing, there's a struggle, there's this issue, there, there's this sin that you just can't get through. And it's almost to the point where you're about ready to give up. Because after all, I mean, losing over and over and over and over and over again just isn't any fun. Now, to set this up, there's a story in the Bible about Jesus. It's Jesus, James, Peter, and John. And they go up to this mountain. It's the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. If you know that story, that's, that's where this starts out. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John. He's like, hey, let's go to the top of this mountain. And they're super excited because the three of them get to go spend time with Jesus. And they leave all of the other disciples down in the valley. They get to the top of this mountain. And they have what you would call the ultimate mountaintop experience with Jesus. I mean, if you know the story, he transforms. The light shines around him. God shows up. God speaks. Peter tries to speak. God says, shut up, Peter. That's my translation of it. You're going to love the series on Peter. Um, and they have this incredible experience with Jesus. And then after... This incredible, incredible, incredible experience with Jesus, they have to come back down the mountain. Now, quick question. This is an easy one. This is not a trick question at all. This is like slow pitch softball. I'm just going to lob it in. You're going to be able to knock this one out of the park. Do you think Peter, James, and John were pretty excited about the experience they just had with Jesus? Yes or no? Yeah, I mean, they're totally excited. They're pumped up. They are so excited about the experience they had with Jesus on the mountaintop. But here's the thing about mountaintop experiences that sucks. They don't last. They don't last. I mean, eventually, you got to come back down, right? Eventually, you got to go back down in the valley. I, I was talking to somebody again last week about how the conference was great. But, you know, we were talking about the highs and lows, and we're talking about we had to go back as another pastor, and, and, and we got to get ready for Easter, and how that's difficult. You get this great blah, 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 and we're going through this whole thing. He said, oh, no, man. I kind of like going through the valley. <laughs> that's stupid. I don't. I wish I could jump from mountaintop to mountaintop, personally. Now, I learn in the valley. I made stronger in the valley. But sometimes the valley isn't fun. Sometimes the valley sucks. So they have this mountaintop experience with Jesus. It's amazing. And they've probably got smiles on their faces. They're high-fiving. They're coming back down the mountain. And this is what they step into. This is where we're going to pick up the story. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. So they come down off the mountain and they step right into an argument. They're probably like, man, this is so exciting. Can you believe that just happened? I can't wait to tell, P to tell Bartholomew and Thomas. This is like, so awesome. You guys are going to... Ah, oh, crap. Here we go again. Because every time the religious leaders show up, every single time the religious leaders show up, there's an argument. This happens to us probably every week, if we're honest enough to admit it. We could stand in this room or we can watch online. And we can experience the presence of God. And we, I mean, we feel like Jesus is with us. We feel like we could bust out of here and we could do anything. We're going to go into the world and we're going to make the name of Jesus famous. God is for us. He's not against us. Woo! And by the time we get to the restaurant, we're cussing somebody out. 
Right? Anybody with me? You understand this. Happens to all of us. It's like we're in the presence of Jesus, and then we forget where we were. Like, like, have you ever told Jesus, come on now, be honest, you're in church on a Sunday. Have you ever told Jesus that you would never do something again? You, you ever done that? Jesus, if you'll just do this, I promise I'll never. Jesus, if you just allow this to happen, I promise I will never, ever, ever do X, Y, and Z. God, if this just ha- have you ever done that? You ever promised God something in 24 hours, you're like, oops, I did it again. Sorry. I couldn't cheat you guys out of it. I've done it in every service, so now it's stuck in your head too. They walked down the mountain, and they forget what just happened. They saw a large crowd surrounding them, and the teachers of religious law were arguing, and they jumped right into it. Woo, Jesus, you're awesome. It's this argument. And the reason, this is a reason, listen to me. This is a reason why so many people have walked away from God. They've walked away from the church. Because they're tired of walking into arguments. The reason so many teenagers walk away is because we, and when I say we, I'm talking about the church. The church is losing middle school and high school generations in record numbers. They're walking away from the church. And, and one of the main reasons they're walking away from the church is because they're sick and tired of stepping into situations like this where people are arguing about things where if they would just turn to Jesus, it would all have been taken care of in the first place. I mean, if these guys would have just turned around and said, Jesus, hey, handle this. But they walk into the argument. They participate. And watch this, verse 15. When the crowd saw Jesus, I love this. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. Don't miss that. They ran from an argument to Jesus. They ran from the argument to Jesus. Nobody that has ever left the church has left the church because they got an accurate view of who Jesus is. If we walked away or we stepped away, we stepped away because we didn't like religious situations or we got hurt. And listen, everybody got church hurt. Everybody got church hurt story. Everybody. I'm going to do an entire series on it this summer. It's going to be so much fun. You're going to hate it. I met somebody the other day who said, I'm never going back to church. Why? I got hurt in the church, and I ain't never going back. I said, you ever had a bad meal at a restaurant? Yeah. That stop you from eating fatty? <laughs> Guess you got me, Pastor. I love this. The crowd ran. Don't, don't miss that. They ran away from religion to Jesus. That's why we have this church. I want people to know that you can walk away from religion to Jesus. Because religion always tells you what you need to be against. I don't know if you know this or not, but we're surrounded by people who are against Jesus. We're surrounded by people who are against what happens here in this place. I wish I could tell you the meeting that I had at that building on Friday that was covered and bathed in religion, telling me that people couldn't come to a church like this. That people couldn't come here. That they have to stay within their denomination. They have to stay within their religion. It is so sad and it is so heartbreaking to know what you're against. But Jesus, the reason people ran to him is because they knew what he was for. He was for the outcast. He was for the broken. He was for the addict. He was for the confused. He was for the hurting. And when people get an accurate view of who Jesus is, they can't turn their back on him. He's absolutely irresistible. Amen? 
It's hot in here. Gets a little bit crazy here. Verse 16, watch this. <laughs> What's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. Uh, I bet he had a smirk on his face. He knew. I mean, Jesus, right? Jesus knows everything. So I imagine he had a little smirk. That's the way I picture Jesus. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. Now, what I'm about to share with you, let me set it up like this. Everybody in this room has had a crazy dream, yes or no? Everybody here had a crazy dream. We've all had nightmares. I remember my first ever bad dream. My first, how many of you remember your first nightmare? First ever. I'm like five years old. It's honest God, true story. Five years old. The Kool-Aid man busting through my wall, coming in to kill me. I was so scared for weeks, I couldn't even get up and go into the bathroom. I peed in my closet, didn't even let my parents know about it. One day, my dad walked in, what did that smell? I don't know. Dog been peeing in the cat, been peeing in the closet, throw him away. I don't know. Every time the Kool-Aid man would come on TV, I'd have to leave the room, man. I, I did. Till this day, freaks me out. I don't like him. Two years ago, Marcus dressed up at Trunk or Treat. Like the Kool-Aid man to chase me around, took or treat. <laughs> Passing out little Kool-Aid things. Hey, Kool-Aid, shut up. Make fun of me. I don't care, man. This is a true story. Like, I, I don't like it. I don't like the Kool-Aid man. Take it down. Kool-Aid man looking over my shoulder. I don't, I don't like it. Now, as true as that is, I have this recurring dream. And you've probably had it too or something similar. We're in the middle of a situation and you're in trouble. And when I say you're in trouble, you're, you're surrounded by somebody or somebody has you. They've got you tied up or whatever. And there's a crowd of people around. And all you've got to do is ask for help. All you've got to do in this dream is scream and ask for help and people will come and help you. But when you try to scream in the dream, what happens? Nothing. Anybody with me with this or am I the only weirdo in this place? You're like... And nothing comes out. It's like you can't speak. You can't make a sound. If you could make a sound, you could get help, right? Now, here's what's interesting. The evil spirit possessed this boy when he was young. And here's what I find absolutely fascinating about this. The first thing the demon did was took away his ability to talk. Don't, don't miss this. He took away the boy's ability to ask for help. He took away the ability to say out loud what was really going on in his life. Makes sense, right? Because there's some people in this room that the enemy is trying to take your ability away to speak about what's really going on in your life. And the way he takes away that ability is through fear. It is. Because if you talked about the fact that you thought about killing yourself this week, you can't talk about that. People think you're crazy. People have put you up on the fourth floor. You can't tell anybody about that. You talk about the fact that you had an anxiety attack over the past couple of weeks. You can't tell anybody that. People think you're not normal. You talk about the fact that you relapsed even though you've been clean for a while. You can't talk about that because people will be disappointed in you. And so what the enemy wants to do, what he wants to do is he wants to take away our ability to speak about what we're struggling with. Because if he can steal our ability to speak about what we're struggling with, we will eventually lose control. See, I want this to be an environment where you can speak about what you're struggling with. I want this to be a church 
where you can speak about the sin that's holding you in bondage. Like if you're struggling with something, I want this to be the place where you could come in and you could talk about it and not be judged for it. That people will stand next to you and they will walk with you through whatever you're going through. That you know that in this place you can fight because there's people around you who will fight with you to help you overcome. That's why I'm so passionate about teenagers in this area and our student ministry. And that's why we have that youth center. That's why we invest so much time and money and effort and energy into it. And so on Wednesday night, students can walk in and they can speak about what they're struggling with. Because listen, I'm 49 years old. I'm going to be 50 in less than a year. And what I've learned from two kids growing up around me is that we need to quit lying to our teenagers. If you got a teenager, you probably told them this recently. I know because i got one that's still technically a teenager. If you told them this recently, you lied to them. All right, teenagers, please forgive your mom and dad because we speak this out of ignorance. This is what we tell them. I don't know what you're so upset about. I don't know why you're so sad. I don't know why why you're acting like that because when I was your age, I went through the same struggles you went through. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. No, you did not. Listen, when I was in high school, we didn't have social media. We didn't have Twitter and Facebook and TickSnap and InstaFake. And thank God, because if we would have, number one, I wouldn't have graduated. I barely did anyway. And number two, somebody would have killed me. Because believe it or not, even before I knew Jesus, your pastor was highly opinionated. (laughs) Somebody just say shockers. (laughs) Come on, man. I know when you see me, my halo's on straight this morning. It's insane. The battles they're fighting today are not the battles we fought. And so we need to continually create an environment where they can walk in and speak about what they're struggling with. And we don't make them feel weird and we don't make fun of them or we don't judge them because they're struggling with what they're struggling with. Amen? I'm here to tell you, no matter what your age is, if you're struggling with something today, it doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It means you're normal. It confirms you're human. But if you stay silent about your struggle, you will lose control. If you stay silent about your sin, what's holding you in bondage, you will lose control. I know a little bit something about that. Verse 18, and whenever the Spirit seizes him, it throws him violently, not gently lays him down, Throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. Now, let me just ask this. If I said to you, hey, ma'am, when do you leave here today? What's your plans? Like, what are you going to do this afternoon? Nobody's going to say, well, you know, Pastor, I think I'm going to go to Taco Bell. And when I get there... I want an evil spirit to throw me violently to the ground. And while I'm on the ground, I want to foam at the mouth and grind my teeth and become rigid. Nobody wants that. Not, nobody's going to say that. That might happen at Taco John's, but not Taco Bell, right? Can we admit that this young man has lost control? Can we admit that? This young man has lost control. Nobody likes losing control. Think about it. This boy, he couldn't talk about his problems because the enemy took away his ability to talk. And it always leads to lost control. Always. Not talking about your problems, not talking about your sin, always leads to loss of control. Then there's this confusing statement from the dad. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit. But they couldn't do it. 
It's confusing because that, that doesn't make any sense. Because the disciples earlier had been commissioned to go out into the world and preach the gospel. Right? And they had gone out and they were preaching the gospel and they laid their hands on people and people got healed. They cast out demons. Why couldn't they do it here? Now, there's a couple of reasons. Jesus actually addresses it, this specific one, in, in, in this instance later on when he says it's prayer. But other times they couldn't do it either. And, and I believe it's because they were trying to reach the next generation the way they reached their generation. I'm telling you, if we're going to reach teenagers, if we're going to reach our kids, we're not going to be able to do it the way we got reached, okay? If you're my age, like you didn't have what our kids have right now. You didn't have youth centers. You didn't have cool things on Wednesday night, cool kids church, like fun kids church. Let's get real. If you went to church as a kid, again, I'm 49 years old, so I'm going to talk about Ryan's little kid experience. When I was a kid, you had to be going to heaven. Because they bored the hell out of you, right? Like, that's legit. Mama's elbow was really sharp. Daddy could take his belt off in an instant. Like, I mean, you got taken outside. We don't reach kids like that today. When I was a youth pastor, when I was a youth you know how we reached teenagers? You know how we did it? We just told them we were going to have pizza on a Wednesday night. And we'd buy pizza and they'd all show up because they were starving. Today, they're like, I got DoorDash. I get pizza whenever I want. They got DoorDash and your credit card. You realize that? That's how they got DoorDash, right? It's your credit card tied to that. Do you realize that? Do you know that? Because I just found this out just recently. All right? It's it's trying to help you out, parents. We're not going to reach the next generation with yesterday's methods. We're not going to reach our communities with yesterday's methods. We're not going to reach people without thinking outside of the box. It's the same message. The gospel message is so incredibly simple. But how do we take it? And how do we reach a lost and dying generation? Let's keep going. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Does Jesus get frustrated, yes or no? The answer is yes. Come on, you can say it. I know. He's frustrated right here. And I love this next part. How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, answer this question honestly. Don't give me a church answer. Answer honestly. Be the first service all weekend to answer this honestly. Do you want this boy in this condition anywhere near you or your family? Yes or no? No. Two of you say no. The rest of you are like, I don't know what to say here. If you saw this kid in the lobby, you wouldn't say, hey, when you get done with that, why don't you come and sit with me? You'd be like, Frank, go to the car and get the taser. I go. I heard Pastor Ryan got some weird people coming, but this is nuts, man. This is weird. But don't miss this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Jesus wanted him. Jesus wanted the boy. Jesus wanted the person that nobody else wanted because Jesus always wants the people nobody else wants. Jesus always wants to be around the people nobody else wants to be around. Jesus always wants to be. Jesus right here, like nobody goes near this boy because they're afraid they're going to get what he got. And Jesus says, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. Bring him to me. That's why I love creating an atmosphere here in this place where anybody can show up and you can meet Jesus. I don't care how messy your life is. I don't care how screwed up you think your life is. I'm glad you're here today. Brought the boy to Jesus. Bring the boy to me. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into another violent convulsion. This kid's going through it. 
He's already been thrown to the ground. Now violent convulsions. He fell to the ground, withering and foaming at the mouth. Now there's a, a myth that circulates Christianity that, that I hate. I, I absolutely hate this. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've been guilty of saying it before. You've probably said it before. We say it a lot around Christmas time. But it's this. In the presence of Jesus, there's always peace. Have you heard that before? I'm going to ask you if you said it before, but have you heard it? In the presence of Jesus, there's always peace. And I wish that was true. How I wish that was true. Do you know how life would, how easy life would be for me? How easy life would be for you if that were true? Now I know what you're thinking. It is true. In the presence of Jesus, there's always peace. Like, what the heck is wrong with you, Ryan? You lost your mind. In the presence of Jesus, there's always peace. How many of you believe that? Presence of Jesus, there's always, it's okay, you can raise your hand, it's cool. Presence of Jesus, there's always peace. Then explain the boy. Is he in the presence of Jesus, yes or no? He's more in the presence of Jesus than any of us right now. Does he have peace, yes or no? No! When you're in a violent convulsion, withering and foaming at the mouth, that's not what I do to relax. That's not relaxing to me. That's not peaceful. He, is not, he does not have any peace. Isn't it funny how the devil can attack you just about anywhere you go? I'm telling you, I've been in the presence of Jesus before and not had peace. Listen to me. It's happened right here on this stage. There's always two sermons going on when I'm preaching. It's the sermon you hear, and the other sermon is the things that are coming at me in my mind. I promise you, you think some of the things I say are crazy? If you could hear what the enemy is trying to tell me while I'm trying to preach, there are people in this room, you're like me, we've been in the presence of God, all of a sudden a thought will hit you that'll take you from the mountaintop and drag your butt straight down to the valley. The enemy can attack us anywhere we go. I mean, haven't you been at church on Sundays where you just can't seem to kick the worship into gear? It's because the enemy is robbing you of your peace. How does it start, Pastor Ryan? Simple. Let's go back to the beginning. There's something going on in your life that you won't talk about. There's a sin issue in your life that you won't speak out loud. And you've lost control. And you've lost your peace. But Jesus says, bring it to me. Bring me that problem. Bring me what's going on. Bring him to me. And you would think it would all go well, but literally all hell breaks loose. It gets nuts. Verse 21. How long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. So this hasn't just been around for a little while. This has been going on a long time. Since he was a little boy, spirit often throws him into the fire or the water trying to kill him. Let me say this. If you've got an issue that's been dominating your life for a while, if you've got a sin issue that's been holding you in bondage, you can't just pray it away. That thing is not going away without a fight. The, the first step to a fight is admitting that you've got a problem. All right, they're, they're talking about that here, right? The, the spirit often throws him into the fire, or into the water, trying to kill him. That's the goal of the enemy, right? The goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. The, the goal of the enemy is to get us to a place where if we don't kill ourselves physically, he wants to kill us spiritually, He'll steal our joy. He'll steal our peace. He'll steal our hope. He'll steal our love. And if he can do that, then we just tap out. And then the man says, have mercy on us and help us if you can. I love the fact this man didn't know what to do. 
he'd ran out of options, so he just brings the boy to Jesus. He, he probably doesn't know what Jesus can do, honestly. Like, he hadn't read the Bible. He probably heard some things. Maybe, you know, this is a good teacher. Maybe he can do some stuff, blah, blah, blah. He probably heard some stuff. But this man's out of options. Probably tried everything. He's finally just at the point where I've tried everything I know how to try. I don't know what to do. He's desperate. So he brings his son to Jesus. I want this to be a church where we can bring our problems to Jesus. Not just our clean problems. Not, eh, I missed my Bible study twice this week. But I'm screwed up. I've relapsed. I'm addicted. I can't stop. No, no matter how messy the problem is, I want this to be a place where we can bring our problems to Jesus and each other. You've got to know, we can't do life alone. We need the help of Jesus and the help of others to make it through this life. That's why it's so important for you to get connected, for you to be a part of a connection group, for you to get involved, for you to serve, for you to get bought in, because we need Jesus and we need each other. And I want this to be a place where we can bring our problems to Jesus and each other and not be judged for it, but we're welcomed with open arms. And when we come in, when people come in with problems, we lock arms with them and we say, Say, we're here for you, and we're going to walk with you through this thing. We're going to fight with you through this thing. We're going to help you no matter how long it takes, no matter what it takes. We're going to fight and help you through this thing. It's the kind of church we should have, yes or no? Yeah. Have mercy on us. Help us if you can. <laughs> what do you mean if I can, Jesus? Do you think Jesus is smirking right here? You think Jesus got a little smile on his face? Do you know who I am? What do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes this next part. Man, this is my favorite prayer in the entire Bible because I can relate to it. I call it the bipolar prayer. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe! Not really. Help. That's the prayer. Now, if you come from a hyper-charismatic background, you've been told, if you just have enough faith, Brother, if you just have enough faith, sister, if you just have enough faith, you'll get your miracle. And if you didn't get your miracle, it's because you didn't have enough faith. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell. person who told you that is as full of it as a porta potty at a construction site. This guy didn't have any faith, but he's honest. I believe! Not really. And then watch this. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Now, literally, when Jesus is speaking, he's speaking the word of God because he is the word of God. Yes? Well, we understand that. Jesus is God. We've got to be on the same page with this. We've got to say yes. Jesus is God. Yes? Yes. All right. So when Jesus is speaking, John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Way down in verse 14, it says, then the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Jesus speaks, Jesus is speaking the word of God. Yes or no? Yeah, and so right here, speaking the word of God to the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, addresses the problem specifically. Do you see that? This is something I hate about Christians. We, we, we've created this culture in the church where we walk up to somebody, how can I pray for you? Oh, you know, I'm struggling this week. Struggling with what? Oh, just struggling. You realize that's not going to help? Say it. Say what you're struggling with. Say it. Listen to me. You're not going to get better unless you say it. You're not. I'm struggling with my marriage. 
I'm struggling with an addiction. I'm struggling in my relationship. I'm struggling with my kid. I'm struggling to even freaking live. You've got to say stuff. You've got to say it because God's word will speak to it. Because watch this. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. He spoke it. The word of God spoke. Can you imagine this boy withering around on the ground hearing the word of God? Do you know sometimes you've got to hear something before you can see it? Sometimes you've got to hear something before you can see it. I'll I'll prove it to you. We're going to do a little experiment. I did this last week. It was awesome. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes. Just go ahead, everyone. So all skate. Everybody got to participate. Close your eyes. Don't look around. This isn't prayer time. (laughs) Close your eyes. You're going to hear something, and when you hear it, you're going to see it. All right? Don't open your eyes, so I'll tell you to open your eyes. Okay? You're going to hear something, and when you hear it, then you're going to see it. Ready? Meow. Meow. All right, open your eyes. How many of you saw the cat? Come on. How many of you saw? All right. All right. I was in a room of like 7,000 people, and I was one of like six that raised my hand. I saw the cat. So I'm glad you're crazy just like me. Saw that stupid cat. Anyway, you weren't thinking about it till you heard it. But once you heard it, you saw it, right? You're like, right, how in the world do you tie this into the church, the Bible, Scripture? Sometimes, sometimes, in order to get better, we need to hear the Word of God before we can see it come to pass. And there is healing in the Word of God. What if, what if we were to create an environment where we heard the Word of God on a consistent basis? What if we talked about how God has a plan for you, a plan to prosper you and not harm you, a plan to give you a hope and a future? If we hear it, we can see it. What if we created an environment where you heard that he's able to do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine? If we hear it, we can see it. What would happen if we created an environment that said his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are greater than our ways? If we hear it, we can see it. I want this to be a place for our teenagers, for our kids, for our adults, for people in this community that that we're hearing the word of God and the promises of God. Because if we hear it, we can see it come to pass. And this church will always be a church that stands solid on the word of God. Sola Scriptura, God's special revelation to his people, happens in his word. Because the word of God is the way that you and I can have life spoken into us. And we get that here every single week. If we hear it, we can see it. If we hear it, we can see it. If we hear it, we can... This is a place... Where you're always going to hear it. Scripture alone. We stand firm on that. So you would think things would get better immediately, right? Wrong. Because the enemy ain't going away without a fight. He's not going to let you go without a fight. I know some of you are thinking, there's no way I could ever speak about what's going on. There's no way. I, I know what that's like. But he's not going to let you go without a fight. He's not going to let you go without a fight. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. Now, quick question. In normal circumstances without Jesus around, (laughs) is there any hope for a dead person? No. 
Like, you've never gone to a funeral. Like, let's, let's say Frank died. You go to Frank's funeral. A week later, you and your friend go to lunch. You're getting ready to, uh, like, pray for your food. And your friend says, hey, I think we should pray for Frank. Because I think he's going to pull through. I think he's going to make it. No. Frank is dead. You don't pray the dead away. He, he's dead. There's no hope for a dead person. But right here, I find it interesting that the Spirit couldn't scare Jesus away or push the crowd away by being violent. So he resorted to causing people to think that the boy was dead. Because don't miss this. If you think somebody's dead in this culture, in this situation, you abandon them. You don't touch them because they're unclean. And if you touch them, you're unclean too. Maybe today that's how you feel. Feel like you've been left for dead. You've fought some battles or you're fighting some battles and you're tired. You're completely exhausted. And you feel like this is what people are saying about you. He's dead. She's dead. You've been left for dead. I know what that feels like. So do many of you. But thank God the story's not over. Verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. When everybody else had abandoned him, Jesus took him by the hand. Jesus wasn't afraid of being labeled unclean. Jesus wasn't afraid that he was going to catch what the boy had. Jesus said, everybody else giving up on this kid. You all say this is over. I say, get ready for a miracle. What we all need to understand, if you feel like your faith is dead, you need to understand Jesus specializes in taking dead things and bringing them back to life. The only reason I'm standing here on this stage is because Jesus took me by my hand, and helped me to my feet. The boy stood up. Don't miss that. The boy stood up. Jesus didn't do it all by himself. Jesus took him by the hand, but the boy had to put effort into it. The boy had to fight. Jesus didn't do it all. The reason we don't often get healed is because we say stupid things, like, Jesus, take the wheel. Listen, Jesus can. All right, he, could, he could take your wheel, whatever. Jesus can do it all. But oftentimes, he's putting it on us to take our next step, whatever that is, to fight, no matter how hard, no matter how difficult, to fight, to fight, to stand up. I'm telling you, this is going to be a place that's always, always, always where you're going to know that God is for us, that God is not against us, that he wants to bless us. We're always going to know that he has greater plans for us, and we can rest in that. That's so much greater to step into that type of environment, an environment of compassion rather than condemnation, right? Because that's who Jesus is, and I pray that that's who he always is for this place. But we're going to have to put forth effort. We're going to have to keep stepping, and we're always, always, always going to have to fight. Let's pray. Father, right now, I pray that we put our focus on you, that we fight to put our focus on you. God, I pray for the people in this room who are struggling with something. They've got an issue. They've got sin in their lives. They can't speak it. I pray for the people who feel like it's just out of control. And God, I, I pray for the people who feel like they've been left for dead. Jesus, that we would know you're greater than our struggles. You're greater than our sin. You're greater than our then our, our shame and the sin and the things that are hoarding us about, like your favor is on us. You want greater things for us, God. I pray that we can have hope and peace and joy and love. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you need to speak right now what you're struggling with.
Maybe it's the first time ever. Maybe you just need to say, Jesus, I'm struggling with this. Maybe you realize you need to talk to somebody about it. Well, Mike sings this song. Our prayer team's available. They'll be available after the service. Talk to them. Go to the back corners of the sanctuary and talk to them. Talk to the person you came with today. But talk to somebody about it. Talk it out. Maybe you feel like you're out of control. And you just need to say, Jesus, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Maybe you feel like you're left for dead and you just need to say, Jesus, bring me back to life. Every one of us needs to say, Jesus, help me fight. Jesus, help me fight. Help me fight through this. Show me the person, the people that are going to walk alongside of me. Help me fight. Maybe you're here today and you can't pray any of those things because you haven't done the first thing, praying to receive Jesus Christ into your life. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life and be your Savior. If that's you, I want to give you the opportunity right where you sit to ask Jesus to come into your life. It's a really simple thing. It's just a, it's just a prayer. It's just a matter of, of recognizing that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. So right where you are, you can just pray, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the grave and I believe you did that to pay for my sin. And so right now I ask you to please forgive me. Come into my life. Save me. Save me from my sin. Save me from this world. Save me from myself. All of me for all of you. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for being my Savior. Heads bowed and eyes still closed. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, we'd love to know. Please let someone in the back corners know. Please let me know. Please let somebody at our welcome desk know because we'd love to celebrate with you and, and help you take your next step. Father, thank you for changed hearts. Father, thank you for this place. I praise you that this is a, a place of hope. It's a place of healing. This is a place of restoration. And God, I pray that we can leave this place filled with peace, filled with hope, filled with joy, knowing that in you, Jesus, the best is yet to come because your plans are greater, your ways are higher, and you love us unconditionally. And help us to fight. We love you, Jesus. We praise you in your name. Amen.